We are in the book of Hebrews and chapter number four tonight. Hebrews chapter number four. Hebrews chapter number four. We're going to read just uh, uh, starting in verse 14. But for context, I think you'll know that where this fits in, in, in the book of Hebrews. And I'll uh, refer to that a little bit, but um, we're, not, we're not yanking this out of the context to just read these verses. So chapter number four, starting in verse number 14. Seeing then, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our great High priest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word. May we have listening ears. May we respond to you as you speak to us. Thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. Would you bless us in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I did want to publicly say how much I appreciated my wife and I, uh, the recognition back on the Sunday night, the 11th. It was way over the top. And uh, some people have asked me, did I, was I clued in? No, I had no idea, or I would have had something written out to say. And so I didn't, but uh, I really mean to say thank you so much to all of you members of Southwest and been so good to us. And, and thank you to my wife for putting up with me for uh, how many years? 39 years? Amen. We were 10, we were 10. <laughs> It's one of those child marriages. So. But it's been just, a, it's just been such a blessing. 30, I can't believe 30 years has gone by. So Jesus is described here as a great high priest. So let me ask you something. Let an image come into your mind. When you hear the word priest, what kind of image or a mental picture comes into your mind when you just hear just that word Priest, And if you're like I am, immediately you conjure up images uh, probably of perhaps a Catholicism. You know, you think, okay, a, Catholics, uh, a Catholic priest, they dress a certain way. Or, or maybe you just think of that when you hear that word priest, uh, that garb that Catholic priests wear. Or maybe when you hear the word priest, you think, well, a priest uh, is someone who is uh, holier than normal people. Or a priest is someone who stands uh, in the place of God. That's a, those kind of images kind of come to our mind when we just hear the word priest. And it's not a word we use as Baptist towards uh, each other or towards people. But you know, and I know, every culture, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, every culture, every religion, even every pagan 
uh, belief system throughout history and up to today uh, recognize that they have an office of a priest. And I'm talking about you could be a voodoo priest or you could be a Catholic priest or Episcopal priest, a, a Mormon priest, Anglican priest, Buddhist priest, uh, Eastern Orthodox priest, a Wiccan priest. I mean, priests, that term and people who fill the office of priest are in all, all manner of religions and even religions that are way outside of Christianity, pagan religions, they'll have a priest. And in most systems that have a priest, it's accepted that the priest, whoever he is in their culture or in their religion, he is someone who has particular access to whatever deity that it is that they worship. This priest has special uh, communication with the deity. And they carry out this priest. It's his job then to carry out whatever religious rituals that they have. And it's the priest. When the priest speaks, the people assume he has heard from God and he is speaking for God. And in most of those systems, it is the worshipers at least believe that the priest has special endowments and privileges that normal people don't have. That's how priests in most of those systems operate. Now the Jews, the Jews were familiar with the priesthood because God ordained the priesthood way, way back under Aaron. You remember. So Aaron and his line well, they carried out the, the priesthood duties and they gave the offerings and the sacrifices on behalf of the people back way back in the tabernacle days. And then in the temple, that was the priests. That was their responsibility and that was their job. And they, had, they carried out those sacrifices on behalf of the people. But by the time we get to Jesus, by the time we get to New Testament uh, times and the New Testament office of the high priest in particular, it has become political. In fact, if you'll look through history, you'll see that Roman rulers would appoint and dismiss the office of the high priest of the Jewish people. Very political. And, and those uh, high priests or chief priests they were misusing their office, and you've read many times in the, in the Gospels, and the high priests or the chief priests were misusing their office, and they enjoyed uh, the power, and they enjoyed the recognition uh, that those offices received, being a priest or a high priest or a chief priest, they enjoyed that. In fact, if you'll read in the Gospels, you'll see who was it that wanted Jesus dead? And who was it that wanted all the apostles dead in the early church? It was the chief priests, the high priest, when they saw that their power 
was slipping through their fingers and their influence was slipping away because the, the crowds were, were going towards Jesus and the crowds were, uh, Jesus was influencing the crowds away from them and their authority. It's the chief priests, the high priests who wanted Jesus dead. So even today, it's true. If there is a priest in, in some religious system, he's definitely held in high, high regard. And, and people assume, well, this person, since he's a priest, he's got access to God that I can't have or I don't have. And in many religious systems, a priest will grant forgiveness. Think of that. The priest will grant forgiveness. The priest will go to God on your behalf because he has a privilege that you don't have. He, in many of these religious systems, is the mediator between you and God, the priest. Now in Hebrews, Paul if you'll read Hebrews, in fact, in chapter number five, he refers to Jesus as the high priest several times. In Hebrews, in this book, Jesus is called the priest or our high priest. And what basically all through the book of Hebrews, Paul is doing is he's teaching us that Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. And he's greater, he's a great, greater than all the high priests. He is our great high priest. Amen. That's what this book is about. Now, I'll, to be totally transparent, people have written volumes about Jesus being our high priest. I mean, just if you just took, how is Jesus our high priest and you spend a lifetime studying it, you wouldn't study it all. That's how big that subject is. So there's no way in one little sermon here we're going to hit everything there is to know about Jesus, our great high priest, for sure. But just these three verses, just these three verses here in Hebrews, we do definitely get a glimpse of Jesus as our high priest. And what does that mean? And what does that mean to you and I? It's more than a title that Jesus has. It's more than something, a title that Paul gave him. What does it mean to know Jesus is our high priest? So number one, number one is this. We have a high priest, according to just these three verses, that is superior to any earthly priest. Jesus, our high priest, is far greater, Paul is trying to say, than any earthly priest. Now, here's how we know that. First of all, it says in verse number 14, he is the son of God. He's not mortal. Jesus is greater because he's immortal. He's not mortal. Now think of this. Priests have been carrying out their duties in every religion that we mentioned and more since the beginning of time. But one thing all priests, including Jewish priests and Catholic priests and whatever kind of priests, one thing that all of them have in common in every religion and every time is this. All of them are been people. 
Every priest has been human. Every priest has been a human being. They're all folks. They're all normal people. But it says in verse number 14, our high priest is called, is here referred to as the son, the very son of God. That makes him different than priests walking around. Now, you, you and I both know, and I, I, I'll say this anyway, just to make sure there's no error here. The Bible does refer to you and I as sons of God. We've been adopted into his family. And you can say that I'm a son of God, and that's totally 100% true. But remember, Jesus is the only begotten son of God. And if you ever hear, and it's, it's been out there for a while amongst... Uh, televangelists, etc. This idea that somehow because I'm a child of God that I'm right here with the same with Jesus and I can do the same things that he can do and I can make the same kind of commands and healings and whatever that he can because I'm a son of God. Uh, when you hear that, just turn off. Yeah. Wrong. He is the only begotten son of God. That's different than me as a child of God. And any then, any religion or belief system that says Jesus is not the Son of God, well, right from the beginning, they're off. So those two things sometimes can creep in, that somehow as a believer, I'm just like Jesus. I'm his son in the same way, and I have the same capabilities and privileges as the son of God. That's not true. And neither is it true that Jesus is not God's son or somehow he's not deity. That's false doctrine from the start. So the first thing we see that sets this priest, Jesus, apart from all other priests is that our high priest is God's very son. He is part of the Trinity. So why, if I'm going to go and seek forgiveness, if I'm going to confess my sin, and I'm going to seek someone to forgive my sin, why, why would I go to someone who's like me? Because priests are like me. I mean, they are human. They're flesh. It doesn't matter what kind of recognition, what kind of robes. None of those trappings matter. They're like me. If I go to a priest and I seek forgiveness from him or I want to confess my sins to him, you know what? He's human and he has sin. And it might be even worse. He has sin. He has faults. In fact, he needs a savior too. No earthly priest is a mediator. In fact, we could put it this way. Earthly priests could make themselves a barrier to God's son rather than a mediator. Why would I seek forgiveness from someone who's like me when I can go to someone who knows who knew no sin? When I can go to someone who through his temptation, in fact, it even mentions that in verse number 15, who through his temptation proved that he could not sin. He was pure and faultless and that he was both priest and sacrifice at the same time. Why go to a priest who's like me? Why go and sit in front of a man and ask him to forgive me when I have the great high priest who's 
who's God's very son, who knew no sin, and I can go to him who's sinless and holy. He's a great high priest. He is no mortal. He's immortal. He's unlike us in that way. He's very God. That sets him apart. That makes him superior first. And the second thing that makes him superior, notice how Paul puts it in verse number 14. He has passed into the heavens. This high priest is not on earth. He is in heaven. Now, that may sound like a disadvantage. Wait a minute. Isn't it kind of an advantage to have a, a priest that's walking the earth, to have a, a priest that's here? But if you'll read uh, in the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus even told his disciples, you'll be better off if I'm in heaven. Well, why is that? Well, think of this. Our high priest, he sits on the very right hand of the Father. And the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. I can go to my high priest and he's always in communion with his father. He's always interceding for me. And the Bible says not only does he do that, but that when he left, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Just think of that. This great high priest who's God's very son. He went on before us to make intercession for us and to prepare a place for when we get to see him. Listen to what one, one writer wrote. Jesus, our great high priest, after he had made the one time perfect sacrifice on the cross, also passed through three areas that related to the earthly priest. We'll see that in a minute. When he passed through the heavens, he went through the first heaven, the atmosphere, the second heaven, outer space, the third heaven, God's abode. But Jesus did not have to leave. His sacrifice was made once for all time. The sacrifice was perfect. And the high priest was perfect. And he sat down for all eternity at the Father's right hand. What a superior priest is he. That he's in the heavens. That he's no mere person like you and I. And then let's add this. This high priest understands, according to verse number 15, he understands our humanity. It says that he is not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Think of this. It's hard. Our minds, I won't include you. My mind is so small. I can't grasp these concepts. But can you think of this? Jesus existed in eternity past with the Father. I, I mean, I, I get to 1961 and that's all the farther I can go. Can you imagine that he existed in eternity past with the Father? If you read John 1, 1, we're clued in that at his birth, the Word became flesh. So Bethlehem wasn't his first appearance. <laughs> it was his first appearance as a human clothed in flesh. And think of, now you get, it's sometimes difficult to think this way, but think of this. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus slept. He walked. Jesus laughed, cried. 
Think of this. He talked. He worked. He dreamed. He experienced physical pain. He got angry. Sad. Astonished. Concerned. In other words, Jesus experienced humanity. And so Jesus then understands. Have you ever been lonely? Jesus understands that. Has there ever been time you were disappointed? Discouraged maybe? Felt like you got kicked in the stomach? Well, Jesus understands that. You ever been confused or fearful or unsure what to do or what step to take and just Jesus understands that. In other words, Jesus understands everything it means to be human, to be frail. He understands. It's not, and the reason, you can understand why he included that in verse 15, because you remember the image of the high priest in the people's minds. They're up there, the high priest, and I'm down here. And so you think now this, our high priest isn't like those high priests in this ivory tower, you know, that's untouchable and unapproachable and unwilling to reach down, you know, and, and dirty himself with the masses. It's not that kind of high priest because he did exactly all of those things. Think of that, that he came from heaven's ivory palaces and he became literally touchable and approachable. And he dirtied himself to be one of us. So unlike those high priests of Paul's day who wouldn't dare dirty themselves or sully themselves with the rabble and the people Did you read in the Gospels, did not the people flock to Jesus? They did. Did not the people bring their children and ask Jesus to bless them and sit them on his lap? They wouldn't have done that with the high priest. But this high priest, they flocked to him, to hear him, to touch him, to be near him. Jesus understands. That's going to be important here in just a minute when we get towards the end. And although Jesus understands and he even understands temptation, notice he was without sin. Verse 15. Tempted. In fact, it says in verse 15, in all points, in every kind of imaginable temptation, But not sin. No sin. Now, we know that in our minds. Yes, Jesus didn't sin. We've learned that. I mean, we learned that in Sunday school when we were kids. Jesus didn't sin. He was sinless, son of God. But have you ever given thought to just how extreme of the temptations that Satan must have thrown at him? Every temptation to every imaginable sin, Satan threw at Jesus. 
he experienced even more than you and I would experience in the way of temptation. Because according to scripture, uh, God limits the amount of temptation that you and I can have. But not to Jesus. To the maximum degree, the temptations to sin came his way. In fact, Hebrews 12 says this, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. See, well, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be tempted into this sin, that I have problems with this sin, and I keep, I keep coming back to it, and I can't seem to get victory over it, and it's always over my head, and it's like a cloud, and it always wins, and I can't get over it. Jesus, if he just understood, he understands. Amen. He understands what it's like to be tempted. He understands, and he sympathizes with our weaknesses as humans, he definitely understands. Listen to Hebrews 2. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. It just says this. He can give comfort to us when we're tempted because he knows what it's like to be tempted. Someone wrote this, Jesus never sinned, but he understands sin better than man. He has seen it more clearly and fought it more diligently than any of us could ever be able to do. That's our high priest. What a superior high priest we have to any earthly priest. What a superior high priest who lives in the heavens and who's no mere mortal and who was tempted to sin but never sinned, but yet at the same time knows and understands what it means to be a human. He can sympathize and empathize. What a great high priest. Well, there's two things in these verses, though, that to me, and it kind of makes sense as the way Paul's written this, since we have this high priest, as he puts it in verse 14, seeing then or understanding that we have this high priest, then he gives us, I believe, this challenge and this privilege. This challenge and this privilege. Here's our challenge. Look what he says there in verse 14. Seeing that we have this high priest, this great high priest, and all that that means, and I, we just touched, we just scratched the surface. Look what it says in verse number 14. Hold, let us hold fast our profession. Knowing that we have a high priest that's far superior to any priest that walks the earth and everything that that means, and it means far much more than we have even time or the ability to describe and explain or understand. But knowing that we have this high priest, he said, number one, I want you to hold fast. Here's your challenge. Hold fast your, your profession. In other words, hold on to Jesus. Amen. Now, why, why the encouragement to do that? Why would we have to be encouraged to hold fast to this high priest that's so far superior to any earthly priest who runs any kind of earthly religious system who can offer me nothing in the way of forgiveness or grace or peace or hope? No earthly priest can dare offer me any of those things. I have this great high priest. Why must I be encouraged to hold on to him? He's so superior. Well... We're human again. 
And since we are, are we not tempted sometimes to seek elsewhere for strength, for guidance, for help when things get a little difficult? So if you have a question you can't answer, and there's a lot of them, do we sometimes, are we sometimes tempted to go somewhere besides where the answers really are? How about when I'm going through a trial or a difficulty and, and I, don't, I don't understand what's going on and, and it's, in, it's in my path and it's there and I'm, it's just sprung up and it caught me off guard. Am I not tempted sometimes to seek help or guidance somewhere besides the great high priest? And when hope is lost and when circumstances have led to doubt, I'm even wondering, is God real? Is Jesus who he said he is? And will he do what he said he would do? And hey, you're watching the news, which I don't recommend. And it's like, man, chaos. All I see everywhere is rainbow flags. It seems like things couldn't, they're just going down and down and they're getting worse and worse. Contempt for God and contempt for the people of God. If you were like me, you saw uh, the, the footage of the pastor in Canada, literally handcuffed and put in a police car for having church service. And sometimes as humans, maybe we forget, hey, I got a great high priest. Maybe I need encourage to hold on to that profession because I don't need to look any further than him. I need to hold on to him. I need to keep my faith in him. And there's no other source for encouragement or guidance or hope or peace than him. Because as believers, he's all we need. Think of that. He's all we need. And so Paul's encouraging them. Hold fast to that profession. Hold fast to that faith that you placed in him for your salvation. And hold fast to that fact that Jesus will keep you and give you what you need until we see him again. Hold fast. And then in verse number 16, which I really think is the point. The point that he's driving at in verse 14 and 15 is leading to verse 16. It seems, according to the way it, I read this, seeing then that we have a great high priest in verse 14, and then you could put a parenthesis around the rest of that verse all the way through verse 15. Kind of feels like that. So I think you could almost read it like this. Seeing then we have a great high priest, let us therefore come boldly. That's kind of what I, you read in that. So that's our privilege. Think of it. We can come boldly to him. Now, you know, the Old Testament high priest and even in the high priest into the New Testament and the Jewish system and religion, the high priest alone. Only the high priest could approach the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. No ordinary Jew dare. No ordinary Jew could enter into the Holy of Holies. That's where God literally dwelled. Until the veil was rent, that's where God was. There was this boldness about that. 
They didn't flippantly do that or casually come into the Holy of Holies. There was great care. And you can read in the Old Testament about the ritual and the procedures they went through. One day a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would go through the door into the outer court. Remember the three places Jesus went through. He would go through the door into the outer court, through the holy place, through the veil, into the holy of holies now, into the very presence of God. He didn't sit down. He didn't delay. And as soon as the sacrifice was made, he, he left and he didn't return for another year. Think of that. Every year how that had to happen. The high priest would go in and make that atonement and come out and do it again the next year. But what Paul is trying to get through to the listeners is, listen, that's, it's different now. <laughs> Things have changed. We don't have to go through that anymore. In fact, he puts it this way. You have a privilege that they didn't have in the Old Testament system of things. And you can come, first of all, on your own. Don't have to have a priest. No one has to go in there for you into the presence of God and you wait outside anxiously wondering if your sacrifice will be accepted. No, you can come, as he says, come boldly by yourself on your own. <laughs> Boy, this was new to the Jews, wasn't it? You don't have to go through the priest. And for our, our friends who are right now even under this, the system of Catholicism and others who have a priest and in their minds the priest is the mediator, boy, don't you want to tell them you don't have to go through that priest. You can go by yourself. Straight, as he says, straight into, think of it this way, straight into the throne room, straight into the Holy of Holies, straight into the presence of very God, straight behind the veil into God by yourself. Maybe the image would be good to think of it this way, as a child would approach his father freely with liberty, confidence and assurance it's as if you've been granted unfettered access 24-7 to the very throne of God. And he lists in verse number 16 three very distinct uh, benefits of our ability now, this privilege we have to go to God. He gives us these three very distinct benefits. And I'm going to tell you, we all need them each and every day. And he freely gives it to those who approach his throne. First of all, he says, you will find it's the throne of grace. Yeah. Webster I looked up Webster's definition for grace. He puts it this way. The free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from him. That's God's grace. If you ever wonder, where would you be without the grace of God? Think of this little illustration. When a person works eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's called a wage. 
When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his service or achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of grace. That's grace. And I know the argument because the psalmist made it, I've made it, and it's this. Yeah, but there's people out here, and they don't love God, they don't have any use for God, they have no time for God or the things of God, they give God no thought in their life, and they seem to live lives of grace, comfort. The psalmist, he cried around about it. They have everything, he said. They don't even get sick, he said. They seem to have all these privileges without God. Some of them may even be, we would say, are wicked, have no use for God, the Bible. Many people in the Bible struggled with those thoughts. But I want you to remember this. Even the wicked are those who have no use for God are recipients of his grace, they may not know it, they may not acknowledge it, but without his grace, even those who have no use for him would be most miserable. They, are, they aren't acknowledging his grace, but they're recipients of his grace. The Bible even says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Would would not believers, would not we do well to acknowledge God's great grace? God, you've been so good to give me what I certainly have never earned or deserve. We can approach this throne of grace. And then he says in verse number 16 that we may obtain mercy. Webster again, I can't get away from Webster. He said this, that benevolence, mildness, tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. In other words, without God's mercy, our past sins would be held against us. In other words, we'd get what we deserve. Without his mercy. As Jesus hung on the cross, here's a great illustration of the mercy of God. As Jesus hung on the cross, you remember, and he had about several sayings, the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And we all know what most of them are. One of them is probably above all the most important when he literally looked down at the men who were driving nails into his body and were taking the life from him. And the Bible records that his words were, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you just can imagine that had they, had they by God been held guilty for the death of his son, what punishment would that be? But Jesus in mercy gave them something they didn't deserve. Forgiveness for that act. That's mercy. And then there's one more. And I didn't even know it was there. To be honest, until I... Strong concordance. 
has, you know, little letters. And if you look on there, you get definitions. And sometimes that opens your eyes to something. Because the last phrase, it says, help in time of need. Help in time of need. That doesn't seem that on the surface to be that important. But the word help just so happens will point you to the same word used in Acts chapter number 27. Help. And it's more a description of something than it is a word we use. When I use the word help, I will say, would you want to help me move? You'll say no. Amen. I don't want to help you move. <laughs> but this word is different. In Acts chapter 27, you, you, you've heard this story of Apostle Paul, and he's, he's in a storm, remember, and, and it's looking really bad. And the Bible says that they were throwing everything off the boat. You can imagine these sailors, and man, they're chucking everything off the sides, and it's a storm, it's, oh, it's awful, and the, the waves, and the lightning, and the thunder, and the chaos, they throw everything off. And then the word, the Bible says in the book of Acts 27, I believe verse 17, that they used helps. And that word is, that description is when they would take literally ropes, long ropes, and they would... Get them on. You can imagine if you have one end and the guy on the other side has one and they work them underneath the boat and then they bring them around and tie them, to, literally tying them together to hold a wooden boat together. It's what a help is. And I noticed it was the same word used in Hebrews chapter four. And it made me think this. That must, is he trying to tell me that when I'm in time of need, and a time of need could be a pretty good storm, right? I mean, the lightning's flashing. And the waves are crashing. And it's, there's something I have no control over going on. And there's difficulty and death and disease and pain and loss. And my, everybody, everybody in this room's faced that. What do I do? Jesus says, I'm like that help. And I'm going to hold you together. Amen. Just like the way the old sailors would hold those old wooden vessels together with ropes. Helps, they called them. Same word. That my high priest will give me what I need in my time of need. And hold me together. With his grace and his mercy. And this high priest that we have, his throne room is never closed right. to his children and he'll help. He'll help us. Because Jesus is our great high priest, think of this, we've got a friend in high places. Amen. We've got connections in heaven. We've got a friend at the throne room who delights to answer our prayers. We can come boldly. We can come often. We can come to the throne of grace and pour out our heart to God because he promises we'll never be turned away. A few weeks ago, I went to the hospital because Blake and his wife had a little baby. And 
the prognosis was not good. And I braced myself for a few rough days. Larry and I stood out in the hall, Larry Shropshire, and literally, Larry, did we not try to almost plan a funeral? How we, what kind of funeral should we have for this little baby? Because that's what the doctor said. She's not going to make it through this night. But people went to the throne. Our great high priest welcomed us to his throne room for grace, mercy, help. She went home from the hospital. I told Larry Sunday, now get ready because first time I see her, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, I went to the throne. And the answer wasn't like that. And that person didn't live or that situation didn't go as I hoped or as I prayed. But even then, our great high priest, he had compassion and understanding. And he gave us everything we needed, even in our time maybe of sorrow and distress and pain. He held us together. And he gave grace and peace and strength and help. And even if the situation didn't go, Brother Ted, the way I wanted it to go, the way I prayed it would go, the ending wasn't a happy one, where would we be without our great high priest? Where would, we, where would our old ships be without his help in time of need? Would you bow with me? And I don't know how God may have spoken to hearts tonight. And maybe just right there where you're seated, you just want to thank God for being that great high priest. Maybe there's something in particular in your life. And you need a high priest. You need to be able to go to the throne room. Maybe you need to spend time with God that way tonight. I'm not, I don't know. However God has spoken. I know this. He doesn't turn away his children. He's always ready to give grace and mercy and help. Not like an earthly priest, but our great high priest. If God's spoken to you in any way during a time of invitation, I pray that you'd respond. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that we can just even get a small glimpse of what it means to have a great high priest. Even though we can't really understand all that, we certainly can understand this, that we can come boldly into your throne. We can pour out our heart and you understand. You've been there. You've experienced it. The temptation, the trials, the difficulties. And you give us what we need. So thankful for that fact and that, the knowledge of that. Maybe you've spoken hearts in some way and maybe it's just all of us need to just thank you for being what you are to us. However, 
I pray in a time of invitation, we'd respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Brother Aaron will lead us. Is thy heart right with God? If you need to spend some time with the Lord there in your pew or here at the altar, the time will be open, Brother Aaron.